today. And uh, I believe this is a real moment that we can meet with God. Thank you for braving the, uh, the mask thing and, um, and coming along anyway. It's uh, great, great to have you here. Uh, you know, Good Friday, we want to focus on the cross. We've got one over here in the corner, as you can see. And crosses are funny things. You see, we see them today. We see them on the top of churches. Uh, we see them hanging around people's necks. But in 2021, do we really have an understanding of what the cross was actually about, what it actually means? You see, in Jesus' time, no one would wear a cross as jewelry. No one would adorn their house with it in the time of Jesus because the cross was not a fun symbol. It wasn't a, a, a wonderful thing. It was a symbol of unimaginable pain, incalculable shame, and utter, utter despair. And only criminals in Jesus' time were executed on a cross. In fact, wearing a cross around your neck, as many of us do, um, wearing a cross around your neck now, if you did that back in Jesus' time, it would be the equivalent of sort of wearing a hangman's noose around your neck and thinking it was cool, which it probably wouldn't be. Um, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. And some people think, oh, this cross thing is a bit foolish. But we know, no matter what they think, we know it is the power of God. So we're going to look at that this morning on how the cross is the power of God. The cross was a symbol of execution, of death, of shame, of folly and of scorn. And if we want to understand it, we need to go back in time to see what it actually represented at that time. So I want to invite you to come back 2,000 years. We're going to look at what the cross actually meant that very first Easter. So why do we even, why do we even need a cross? Why do we need a cross? The Bible tells us that all of us, if we sin, we are destined for a lost eternity, separated from God forever in hell. You know, people are saying to, well, do, do gay people go to hell? Yes. Do straight people go to hell? Yes. Black and white people all go to hell. Good and bad people all go to hell. If you think you can be a good enough person to get into heaven, you're wrong. You'll be the goodest person in hell, but you'll still be in hell. Because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. See, all of us have sinned. You have, I have, doesn't matter who you are, we've all sinned. Some people say, well, I don't think I've sinned. Well, there's, there's two different sorts of sins. There's the sins of, of commission and the sins of omission. So... Sins of commission. Think when you've actually committed sin. Think about it. Have you ever got angry at, at anybody? Some of you got angry at someone today, right? Have you ever been envious or selfish of someone else? Have you ever hurt someone else or let them down? Have you ever spoken badly of another person? See, you've all sinned. And what about sins of omission? When you failed to do what was right and just, have you ever walked past someone in need without helping? Have you ever made a decision without asking God? Or have you ever known what God wanted you to do and not obeyed? That's a sin of omission. You see, we have all sinned. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin separates you from God. In the Old Testament, under law, sacrifices were required for sin to bring us back to God. In fact, in Hebrews uh, chapter 9, verse 22, it says this. Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. See, in the New Testament, it's not, a new, it's not a new standard. It's the same standard. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. 
The difference is it's been met, that requirement has been met in a different way. So why do we need the cross? Because rather than killing us for our sin, and rather than killing, uh, you know, the blood of countless animals, Jesus Christ became the perfect sacrifice for our sin that first Easter. He came to earth, he shed his blood and he paid the price for us. He left his home in glory and he came down to earth with the express mission of bringing people back to God. Uh, We often talk about the golden thread that runs all the way through from Genesis, right the way through. And the golden thread is this, that God wants to be reconciled to us. And he did it in the person of his son. He left his home in glory and he came with that mission, the expressed intent of dying in our place and setting his face like flint, Isaiah says, to fulfill his mission. You see, we all need the cross, every single one of us. The world might hate the cross and think it's foolish, but we know it is for the salvation of all of us, this cross that Jesus died on. See, the thing is, I should be hanging on that cross. You should be hanging on that cross. But he chose to give his life for ours. He experienced what we should have experienced so that we could be given what we never deserved, which was a chance to be right with God. So why did he do it? Why would Jesus do this? I'll tell you why. Because he loves us. That's why he did it. So what's the motive of the cross? You see, a holy and just God cannot simply excuse sin. You say, well, God, why don't you just let everybody off of their sin? Well, you wouldn't be holy, God, if you did that. He wouldn't be a righteous God. He would no longer be holy or just if he let everybody else, everybody off their sin. I mean, just think about it. Can you imagine what our society would be like if the courts never applied any punishments? Right? I mean, some of our courts are practically there at the moment. But can you imagine if, if there was no, you could do whatever you like, you could hurt, you could kill, you could rob, you could anything like that, and you would never be punished ever for it and you knew it. Our, our society would be bedlam, wouldn't it? We, our society is based on laws. Why are you all wearing funny masks today? Because she who must be obeyed said you've got to wear it, and so we all do it. That's what the law is like. Right? If God overlooked sin and let everyone into heaven, heaven would be hell. Heaven would be the worst place around because sin would be present there. But this is what God did. Instead of excusing us or condemning all of us to a lost eternity, God's solution was to find us guilty to satisfy his justice, but also to pay the price for us exercising his mercy. See, imagine this. You stand before the judge. You're accused of a crime. The penalty is you pay a million dollars or you're executed. And you, you open up your pockets and you've got nothing in them. They're, they're like, gosh, that's not going to work. You have no money. The judge brings the gavel down. Your fate is sealed. But once the sentence is pronounced, the judge himself pulls out his wallet and pays the price, setting you free. That's what Calvary is about. That's the motivation of the cross. God paid the penalty for our sin by sacrificing his own son for us. Philippians 2 is one of my favorite passages and it talks about what Jesus gave up you see well let me read it to you Philippians 2 verse 5 Christ Jesus who though he was in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but emptied himself taking the very form of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross you see what that verse tells us is that Jesus is God. 
He's the very essence of God, the very image of God. Jesus is God. He's not a God. He's not a creator being. Jesus is God. There's a theory running around that Jesus turned into a man during his time on earth and became a God, God again at the end of it. Rubbish. Jesus is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three and one at the same time. He's not a created being, yet he emptied himself of the glory of being God and came and poured himself out as a sacrifice for us as a humble servant. See, God's motive in sending his one and only Son was to save us. Why would he do this? Because he loves you. That's why. Because he loves you. The story is told of a a drawbridge keeper back in the Mississippi in 1937. He brought his eight-year-old son to work with him one day. And as as the train approached, now with the drawbridge, if the train was, if if it was like that and the train hit it at speed, it would go into the drink. It had to be flat, obviously, for the, for the train. You know, you went up to let the ships through, goes down to let the train across. The train was approaching. He heard the whistle of the approaching train speeding down the line. But it was time to lower the bridge. But he looked and he saw his son had tripped and fallen into the gear assembly. He could see that his, his child was hurt but trapped. And the Memphis Express, that's the name of the train, was approaching. So the man faced a choice. Did he leave the bridge open, go and save his son? Or did he sacrifice his son so that hundreds of people would be saved going across the, uh, the river on the bridge? He knew he didn't face a choice. He pushed the lever and the train, uh, the bridge began to lower and the train went over the bridge safely as he heard the screams of his dying little boy. That's what it was like for God. That God heard the screams of his dying son, but he did it because he loves you. Make no mistake. Nails did not hold Jesus to the cross. You know what held him there? Love for you is what held him there. And he died in our place. Let's look at the road to the cross, because the cross was the end of a very horrible, horrible experience for our Lord Jesus. See, the road to the cross shows us that Jesus can relate to all of us. He understands your pain. Matthew 27 verse 30 says this, talking about the Roman soldiers, and they spit on him, and they took a reed and struck him on the head, and they mocked him, and they stripped him of the robe, and they put on his own clothes, and they led him away to crucify him. See, Jesus was betrayed by a close friend. Some of you have experienced that. You ever been betrayed by someone you love, someone you trusted, who betrayed you? Well, Jesus has experienced that. He understands how you feel because it happened to him. He was unjustly accused. You ever been unjustly accused? Accused of something that you hadn't done? Well, he understands that because he also was unjustly accused. Jesus was abused horribly. Some of you have felt terribly abused in your lifetime. Jesus gets it because he's experienced it too. And they took him and they whipped him. And they put a crown of thorns on his head. Jerusalem thorns. Longer than a man's finger. They put it on his brow and they smashed it into the top of his head. And blood was flowing down his cheeks. They drove, as they drove those spikes into his head, blow after blow. They tore his beard from his face and they mocked him and he, they beat him. Jesus was beaten to within an inch of his life. The Bible talks about in Psalms that his back was like a ploughed field. See, the Romans, what's depicted here, the Romans had defined cruelty and pain to the point of a science. 
They call this particular whipping the halfway death. And if you're not familiar with it, they use what's called a cat of nine tails. It had nine strands on the end and, and into each strand was tied bits of metal and bone and stone. And so when they thudded it into his back, all these pieces just, just thudded into his back. Then when they ripped it off, they would tear the flesh on his back. Unbelievable pain that he could have stopped at any moment, but he chose not to. Why? Because he loves you. Then he was taken away for the death sentence to be carried out. He was ordered to carry a crossbeam. He collapsed under the weight after the terrible beating that he'd endured. So some of you here know what it's like to be abused and to be beaten down. But I'm telling you, Jesus knows that even more than we do. Some of you here are carrying burdens that are too much, seem too much to bear. Well, Jesus knows that too. That's why he says in Matthew 11, 28, Come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. How does he know? He went through it. Take my yoke upon you, he said, and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Whatever you're carrying today, Jesus is saying he knows, he understands, and he's saying, give it to me. Give it to me. I'll carry it for you. The pain, the fear, the loneliness, the loss, whatever burdens you bear today, you can give to Jesus knowing that Jesus understands and that he loves you. And he he does this because he loves you. So let's look now at the work of the cross. See, when he got to the, the cross itself, there was work to be done. He was beaten and he was driven to Golgotha, Skull Hill, where they crucified him. Now, the old song says, on a hill far away, doesn't it? Who knows that song? Stood an old rugged cross. Well, it wasn't actually on a hill. It was actually at the bottom of a hill. Uh, Today there's an Arab bus stop where they think the actual site of the crucifixion was. And uh, they laid the cross member down and they secured it to the rest of the cross. Then they held out his quivering hands and his feet and they drove these massive nails, much like you would use uh, for railway sleepers, through his wrists and his ankles. Here's an example of it, if we can put this up. This is an an actual uh, uh, ankle bone of a slave with the nail driven through it. So this proves to you that what went on here was real. They drove it through his hands and his feet, not through the middle of the hands, but through the wrists so that it would hold. And, and then what they did was they, they stood this thing up. So his body's pinned in agony on the cross. They raise it up and then they drop it into the socket. Imagine the jarring pain as that flowed through you from having these nails through your hands and your feet. And there Jesus hung in agony. He could have called down legions of angels. He could have stopped it at any any minute. But he chose not to. Why? He hung there in agony because he loves you. The cross itself, just go back to the cross, Eli, thanks. The cross itself wasn't actually that high. It was actually a little more than eye level. So people could actually walk along and almost look eye to eye into the face of the condemned man hanging on the cross. And people passed him by. Matthew 27 says, he saved others. He cannot save himself. That's what the people said. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now and we will believe. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. Eyeball to eyeball practically. And he hung there in pain and agony the soldiers offered him wine mixed with gall a pain-killing drug but Jesus even in the intense pain that he was going through at that moment refused pain relief the cross is the ultimate uh, perfect instrument of torture you see on the cross you don't die 
of exposure. You don't die of blood loss. You die of suffocation. What happens is this. Jesus has to push himself up on the spikes, on his hands and his feet with incredible agony to draw air into his lungs. But after a while, the pain is unbelievable and he drops into unconsciousness. But then the need for air revives him. So he wakes up again. He has to pull himself up on these hours. And this goes on hour after hour after hour after hour. That's why they broke the legs of, the, of the, the, uh, the people on the cross later on. Because if your legs are broken, you can't push yourself up and you die of suffocation in incredible agony. That's what it was like for him. So the Latin word for crucifixion is the word cruciere, from which we get the English word meaning excruciating, meaning intense, unbearable pain. So Jesus suffered this excruciating pain for three hours under the intense heat of the Palestinian sun. And then God said, enough, and he covered the world in a supernatural darkness. Jesus continued to suffer for another three hours under that darkness in ways that we cannot even begin to understand. He could have stopped it at any moment. He could have said, I'm, I, I'm done with this. I can't go anymore. But he didn't. He chose to go through with his mission. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. So let's look at where this ended. After six hours, the end of the cross, after six torturous, agonizing hours, Matthew writes this, Matthew 27, 46, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What happened then? Jesus is crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, the Father, my God, the Holy Spirit, why have you forsaken me? See, at that moment, at that very point, God turned away from his beloved son. In those moments, a holy God who cannot look upon sin saw your sin and my sin upon his shoulders and he turned away from him. At that moment, Jesus took our sin upon himself. And as the father rejected him, Jesus experienced that separation from God for all of us in our place. Then it says this in verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. In John 19, 30, it says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. See, Jesus' last words, his last words before his death were, it is finished. It is complete. And they were the very words that the high priest was uttering at that moment, finishing off a day's worth of sacrifices in the temple. At exactly that time, I believe it's 6 p.m., and Jesus said his mission was complete, that he'd come to be the ultimate sacrifice for sins. And as the high priest cried out, it is complete, Jesus cried out, it is complete, because it was complete for eternity. Never again to have to go through this again. And then he slumped and he went dead on a cross. Ultimately, the Romans didn't take the life of Jesus. Jesus yielded it at exactly that moment that pre-chosen moment. Jesus yielded his, his life in unbelievable pain for your sin and my sin. Remember, nails didn't hold him to that cross. Love for you is what held him to the cross. So they took his body down from the cross and they buried it in a fresh tomb. So what's the result of all that? I've described to you in some detail what it's like. What's the result of the cross? At that exact moment, the temple in the curtain which separated the most holy place from the rest of the temple, the temple curtain itself was torn from top to bottom at that exact moment. At that moment, God showed us that the way is directly open to him now.
The graves burst forth. This is what Matthew reported in Matthew 27, 50 and on. He said, Jesus cried out again in a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised coming out of the tombs. After his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. You see, the result of the cross is that the penalty for our sin, separation from God for all eternity, was overcome in that moment. The way was open again to fellowship with God. The temple uh, curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. This very day, right now, if you ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you can be assured of an eternity in heaven with him, not facing an eternity of hell. The Bible says that. Romans 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 1 Peter 2 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you you were all straying like sheep but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Today, It is time that you return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The shepherd's calling out to you. If you're not sure where your life is going today, if you're not sure what is happening to you, this is the moment to do it. Let me ask you this respectfully. If you were to die tonight, can you be 100% certain you'd go to be with God in his heaven? You might say, well, I think so. That's not good enough. If you ask Jesus Christ into your life, you can know for certain that you're going to be with him in his heaven, that you're not going to hell. You don't have to earn his love. You don't have to meet a minimum standard. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what you've said. Doesn't matter who you've hurt. If you ask Jesus Christ into your life today, it's a free gift And you can be assured that you will be with him forever. It's the one he paid such a high price for. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, or if you have previously, maybe you've wandered away from it. Maybe you've spent days, months, weeks, years maybe, apart from church. You know, just you you made a commitment back there somewhere. This is the time to get it right. This is, we can make this Friday the best Friday, not just a good one, the best. If you ask Jesus Christ into your life right now. He died in your place. He paid the price for you to receive eternal life and he offers it to you free of charge this day. It's the opportunity to get right with God, the opportunity to turn your life around. I'm going to pause here for a moment and I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Prayer is just talking to God. So why don't, why don't you just uh, close your eyes for every one of you. Let's close your eyes. Let's close our eyes together. If you've never asked Jesus Christ into your life or if it was a long time ago and you haven't been walking with him, I want to give you the opportunity to get it right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I want you to say it with me. And together we will ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life as your Lord and your Savior. Say these words with me. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. For the times that I have rejected you. But right now, Lord Jesus, I ask you into my life as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for giving me your Holy Spirit. Thank you for including me in your family. 
and for giving me the gift of eternal life. Now, just as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, I want you to just shoot your hand up and give me a quick wave. There may be someone here. There may not be. I don't know. But I want to challenge you on that. Just take a few moments. If that's you, just let me know. And then we'll move on. Praise God. Amen. Now, let me ask for the rest of us, because we are saying that we are Christians and we are believers. I want to know your response to the, gospel, uh, to the cross. See, Galatians 6 verse 14 says this, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has crucified me, uh, has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul wrote that. But a fellow called Isaac, wrote, uh, Isaac Watts rewrote that. You might know the hymn. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. How will you respond to the cross this day? You know, there were three, three soldiers there that day. Three soldiers at the cross with Jesus that day that had crucified him. And they mirror three responses to watching Jesus die. The first soldier was a materialist. The Bible says they took his cloak and they gambled for it now Jesus had a cloak it was a rabbi's cloak uh, it was it was made in a unique way it only had seams around the shoulders and it was a valuable piece of garment it was valuable so valuable that the soldier said well don't rip it up don't throw it away let's gamble for it and the winner can take it so one soldier went home that day with the cloak of Jesus around his arm he thought he'd won he won the the gamble And he went home with the cloak of Jesus around his arm. He was a materialist, nothing more. The second guy was an angry, violent soldier. When Jesus had slumped and died on the cross, he took a spear in anger and he he shoved it up in through his side and ripped it out and out came blood and water showing that Jesus was truly dead. His experience was one of hatred and anger towards Jesus. And some of you have been there. You've been angry towards God. Maybe God hasn't done what you wanted. Maybe God took something from your life that you really valued. Maybe a person you loved and you get angry at God. Maybe you blame God for the way your life has unfolded. Even though you were the one who made the decisions, you blame him for how it worked out. Well, this man was angry. And, and so he, he threw that, that, that spear up into his side and ripped it out. And out came blood and water upon the ground. That man trod on, on the earth the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He trod it underfoot. And today across our nation... Most of our people are thinking about a day off. They're thinking about hot cross buns and Easter eggs. And and they will tread with contempt the precious blood of Jesus under their feet. Right across our nation. The third centurion, the third guy was a centurion. He was the commander. And he said this in Mark 15, 39, says this. When the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way that in this way he breathed his last or he died when he watched him die he said truly this man was the son of god so let me challenge you what are you going to say this morning to this one who died for you we can come to a church service we can go home and eat hot cross buns and that sort of stuff but today of all days i i implore you christians do not tread the blood of jesus underfoot afresh 
We need to not only be respectful, but when we look at the cross, the question is, how do we respond? Do we just go, oh, it's a cross. Look at it. It's sitting over there. It's just a cross. I believe that it demands a higher response than that, don't you? Our soul, our life, our all. See, what held Jesus to the cross was not nails. It was love. It was his love for you. And I believe that if you get right with God, if you get close to God this day, that your life can never be the same. Colossians 2 verse 14 says this. I'll finish with this. Paul talks about it. It says, cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, which is the old law. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. You know, when Jesus slumped into death, the devil thought he'd won, but he was wrong. He'd called it wrong all along because Jesus was winning at that very moment. And three days later, he proved it. If you already know him, and that's most of us here today, I want you to think about your life. I want you to just take a moment and have a look, examine your life. What is your greatest burden right now? It could be a need. It could be a, a struggle. It could be an ongoing sin, something that you grapple with and you never seem to get on top of. What is your greatest burden right now? Because I'm going to ask you to write that down. We're going to distribute uh, a pen and paper to you. We're just going to do something really beautiful here to finish our service together. I'm going to ask you to write that burden down. Don't show it to anyone. This is between you and God. I'm going to ask you to just write that down briefly. Can we have those pens and papers and stuff? Thanks, guys. So take a few moments to think about it. What is your greatest burden right now, be it a sin or a desire or a, or a dream or, or, or fear for, for, for someone or something? And we are going to ask you to write it down. And then what we're going to do collectively is we're going to disarm the spiritual rulers and authorities. And I'm going to ask you in a, in a short time to come and nail it to this cross. Whatever sin you're grappling with, whatever desire, whatever heartbreak, whatever burden you are feeling, write it down. This will take a little bit of time, but I believe it's worth it. And I'm going to ask you to come and nail it to this cross. And when you nail it to the cross, folks, you won't walk away with it. It will stay there. No one's going to look at it. I'm not going to go through and figure out what you've written and who you are. It's between you and God. But when you nail it to the cross, it's done. When you nail that burden, that sin, that broken dream, whatever it is, when you nail that to the cross, it is done. And it's done for all eternity. You can't take it away. You're not allowed to keep grappling with it. You're not allowed to keep doing stuff with it. This is your moment to nail it to the cross. So just take a few uh, minutes in an attitude of prayer and think about what it is is your greatest burden and write it down on that piece of paper and then together we're going to nail it to the cross.
here and just come down through this aisle and we're going to give you the opportunity to nail this to the cross it's just a symbol it's just a picture but maybe it'll help to remind you of the things that you're giving to him and releasing to him